0: Welcome to the 38th episode of the Hail Mary Podcast. I'm A Toves and I'm joined by my husband The Toves. We're back to give our hot takes and our win over Texas Southern and throw some Hail Mary shots downfield for listeners to love or hate. Let's get started. I never thought we'd hear trailer say he was disappointed by a win where we scored 52 points, but here it is. UTSA let Texas Southern hang with them through three quarters. The Roadrunners started off sluggage on both offense and defense in the first half and racked up five penalties for 70 yards. While Texas Southern never led in the game, they played well and kept the score uncomfortably close at halftime, 21-17. The Roadrunners came alive in the second half, outscoring Texas Southern 31-7, including Eddie Lee Marburger's first TD pass of the year to J.T. Clark. While it wasn't the dominating first-half performance we were all hoping for, there were a number of firsts and records broken in the win, Chris Carpenter returned a kickoff 97 yards for a touchdown, the first in program history. Frank Harris broke the individual's single-game passing yardage record at 392 yards and is now the school record holder for career passing touchdowns. JT Clark now holds the record for single-game receiving yards at 217, and he tied his own record of three touchdowns in one game. Dwan Griffin and Avery Morris caught their first career interceptions. And Lucas Dean kicked a 76-yard punt, which broke his own school record. It wasn't the well-executed win trailer wanted, but a win is a win. The team now closes out non-conference play at 2-2. Two two. What were your thoughts on the game?
1: Well, I kind of felt like we that the team underestimated Texas Southern. Uh, they came out with just some minimal energy and effort. They're just, there wasn't that same UTSA Hunter team that we're so used to. And, you know when we're doing the previews and we're kind of looking ahead at, you know, who we're going to be playing, you know, it's easy to look at an FCS opponent and kind of underestimate them. But, you know, you know that they're going to come out and they're going to play hard and they're going to have energy. And the biggest thing that we wanted to see from UTSA was for them to just kind of punch them in the mouth and just kind of demoralize them early. And it just never really happened.
0: Yeah, it just, it seemed like there was a UT hangover from this week and we were just kind of tired and not energized in the first half.
1: Which is weird from a trailer team, right? Like they keep talking Mm -hmm. about the triangle. They keep talking about, you know, this is what their um, culture is. So this is definitely not something you'd expect from them. And and so it's just interesting just to see how they kind of bounce back in this next uh, week against Middle Tennessee State.
0: Yeah. And hopefully this week, you know, again, knowing Middle Tennessee, knowing that, they've been a tough opponent more so than they probably should have been in the past. We'll hopefully get them to come out with that same level of energy that we saw when they came out against Houston. Well,
1: 2020 did have Asher O'Hara who was essentially being taped, like pieced together every single time he came to the sideline. Mm-hmm. One of my fondest memories of the COVID era of UTSA football, because we essentially have something like what, two or three people ahead of us. And obviously there was, you know, it was set up all sorts of, quite differently. And so we could just see middle Tennessee and poor Asho here. I just remember that, but you know, I digress. Just go back to talking about Texas Southern here. You know, I predicted a a score of 55-13, ended up 52-24, like you mentioned, you know, it was, so it was close, but you know, when you're doing a prediction, like I said, you know, there's all sorts of X factors and you kind of hope that there's like, you know, the guys get healthy, that, mm-hmm. that guys are actually able to play, or that they play to their, you know, really to their best of their ability. She didn't really see that energy. So, um, you know, did you see any sort of, like, shoddy play as well?
0: I mean, yeah, there was definitely poor tackling, which we haven't really seen through the first three games. I don't want to say it was necessarily lack of effort. Maybe that was it, but it just seemed like they were very tired throughout the game.
1: And I totally get that. I, I just kind of feel like, you know, this is... Certainly a team that needs a bye week, but mm-hmm. that bye week's not coming anytime soon.
0: No, and that, you know, when we did this the preview was one of the things that concerned me with how far away that bye week was just given our injury history in the past, but it's certainly worse this year.
1: Well, and, and it just seems to fall on the same time. Mm-hmm. so far the last couple of years. It's it's right about then about the end of October. So, you know, you knew that there was gonna be a lot of potentially some you know, healing from those first three games. And we thought that this game was just going to be the one where we just put them away and we should be good. But, you know, all for naught. Again, Texas Southern was scrappy. And really, we have to give them credit. Like, you know, and we can't just overlook them and say, well, you know, we were bound to blow them out. Sure. But it was, I didn't expect it to take this much effort.
0: (laughs) I sort of feel like... This is what it would sound like if we were UT last week talking about the game against UTSA?
1: Absolutely, because it was, you know, essentially UTSA, I mean, in theory, hung with them until the third quarter, but I think it was probably less than that as the injuries started piling up. The thing with Texas Southern, it wasn't like they had a bunch of injuries that were Mm -hmm. piling up. They did have a couple injuries on defense and not trying to minimize, you know, what happened to those young players, but... You know, it wasn't like you're seeing Texas Southern player drop and, like, seeing some of their better players just fall out. No, this was a Texas Southern team that knew that as long as they played hard, you know, they had a chance to at least give a scare. And I kept, kept texting my brother going, oh, UTSA's on episode alert. He's like, nah, they'll pull away in the second half. Yes, they did, but it also was perplexing to see UTSA keep their starters in until, you know, well into the fourth quarter. You made a note of that... Yeah, UT. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I mean, I kept saying when we were playing UT, like, okay, this game has gotten away from the Roadrunners. Why are they still playing their starters? And I sort of felt like Trailer did the same thing. Although, you know, on defense, there's certainly a lot of young kids that were playing. But on offense, you know, we had our starters in. And even when we put Eddie Lee in, finally, um, who I thought looked really great in the game, he was playing with you know, JT Clark, some of the other starters, which, you know, in the past, when you've seen Josh Adkins come in, you typically saw him come in with the twos.
1: You right. didn't necessarily right. see him
0: come in with the ones. So even though Eddie Lee was in, um, he was playing with, you know, the ones still.
1: Again, interesting. I mean, it's certainly felt like the scare was there, mm-hmm. whether they choose to acknowledge it or not. Um, and, you know, I, I personally thought that. Frank could have been taken out in the middle of the third quarter, even with the game pretty close. Because it's not like Eddie Lee, to me, was going to make any sort of huge mistakes. Plus, let's put him in a position here to see how he handles some of this adversity. You know, some of these things that are going on. um, You know, it it just didn't seem like he got that opportunity to do so. And I I think that's going to be something to kind of look back on at times and say, well, you know, maybe we should have played Eddie, given Eddie Lee a little bit more time here.
0: and hey, before um, we did the preview, I said I wanted to see, you know, a Cam Peter sighting in this game. Looked like it wasn't going to happen, but we got our Camp Peter sighting.
1: <laughs> he did, he did. Um, and we'll dive in that a little bit uh, here in a little bit. But anything else? I mean, obviously, trailer said his team was disappointed by the performance, not as clean as they wanted to be. But, you yeah, know, I don't know how much else we can harp on that. You know, overall, just not the performance we would have liked, like you said. But, but a
0: win is a win. Yeah,
1: exactly. So let's go into the special teams review. Look, there was poor kick return coverage here by UTSA. And it was evidenced by the fact that we started pooching the kicks like late in the game because we didn't want to give up a bunch of yards. What's ridiculous about it is that it's an FCS team. It's not like they had somebody that was really explosive. It's just that our guys just were lackadaisical. And again, you know, go back to what you said. There are some guys that are probably out there playing that... You know this is maybe one of their first times on kick return coverage, but I think this goes back to coaching. You know, this is you know, you knew that you were going to bring in some of these guys, it just seems like we weren't as prepared for this.
0: Yeah, and, and we've played very well, um, in terms of our kick return coverage, you know, through the first three games. Um, you know, that was certainly an area where we struggled last season, but it really had seemed to be cleaned up, although you know, part of it was. Sackett's much more consistent about kicking the ball through the end zone um, on those kickoff returns, um, as compared to you know Hunter last year.
1: Yeah, and and I think that that's that's what's perplexing is that you know you you probably knew exactly what was going on or what should you should know your assignment I guess you, I should say, and it didn't seem like those assignments were being fulfilled. It just seems like a at times that special teams being like an afterthought, and we see some of the problems. I really throughout the first four games. So, you know, again, so wondering if there's going to be some things cleaned up here because, you know, if you had to po- pooch some kicks, like, that's just pretty much waving the flag and saying, we don't trust the guys that are on the field to essentially make a play and, and stop you guys from returning it. But so, you
0: can't talk about special teams without talking about the record-setting first kickoff return, though.
1: Right, right. But one thing is kickoff Coverage. This one was, you know, kickoff return. And the kickoff return, really, I think, it was set up beautifully. I think one of the things that I was impressed about with Chris Carpenter was that he was patient. Um, He didn't – he let this block set up as opposed to, you know, you get eager sometimes. uh, And, you know, we hadn't really seen Chris back there feeling any kicks. (laughs) So when we looked back there and saw that it was him, we're like, oh, okay, this is something new because we were expecting, like, a JT Clark or – you know, even a Josh Cephas, who's been fielding punts, said, you know, you, you see Chris, and again, I will restate, he really was patient. And, you know, that's what really was, I think, the, the biggest thing about the kickoff return was, you know, obviously he's incredibly fast, he's talented, but to let the game kind of slow down a little bit and give you a little bit of time so your guys can go and do their job. Uh, Texas Southern really didn't do a very good job of, you know, getting their gunners down there to cover Chris. Uh, but, you know, I think that was really the signal for Chris to <laughs> take advantage of all that. Right. One other thing that we wanted to mention was Jared Sackett on the first <laughs> PAT Point. kind of clanked it off the um, one of the uprights.
0: I couldn't really tell when we were at the game that that happened. I remember you saying something looked a little off. But um, it really wasn't until we rewatched the game that you could see, like, we got lucky that it just bounced back inside.
1: You know, and I think that it hadn't it missed. And I'm not saying, you know. But had it missed, it would have felt like the perfect perfect bad start for UTSA, right? Like, there, there had been some signs that it could be a bad start. Second play of the game, essentially, after the Texas Southern, you know, returns their kick, they gave up a long rush on the ground, right? So it, it kind of felt like, you know, things just aren't moving like they should. And it was sort of the first signal, right? So, you know, let's go on to the offensive review. So, let's start out with a preview review. The only thing I had said was to execute the offense as they have all season. And really, it was just to give Texas Southern no hope, like just kind of demoralize their defense. I mean, they do have some, like I said, they had some athletes, they have some guys that can play. You know, I didn't, I felt like the offense kind of sputtered. It was, it didn't seem very clean, crisp. Well, sure. It just didn't seem. I think the play calling left me a little perplexed because mm-hmm. it was clear they wanted to, to really kind of focus on that rush game, but we couldn't bully anybody on the defensive line. And I, I thought that was just incredibly perplexing to me. And, you know, I think some of the schemes and I think some of the just trying to be stubborn and, and trying to really continue to rush the ball when, you know, I, I think there's other strengths on the team. But let's talk about the, that struggle on the ground. Again, we expected more success against an FCS team, but it was 27 rushing attempts for 112 yards. Now it's four yards a rush, so that lines up about like what we used to do last year. But essentially, you'd have sincere that would do that alone. Mm-hmm. This took like I think it was like three, four backs that were doing that. That and add a and Barnes fumble that was just it was just bad ball security from a young back. And you know something that I had pointed out in the beginning of the year was sincere just didn't fumble. Like he just had great ball security and then here we go and against an fcs team like you know there was some bad blocking and kaworian just coughs it up it just it just re-emphasized the fact that our team just really wasn't here to play, wasn't like mentally focused. Yeah. focused on this game and you know I, I don't know what did you think about the run game
0: you know two thoughts one is you know, of course, we know that we have these injuries on the offensive line, but again, you would expect that even with the struggles that we've faced against an FCS opponent, we'd still have more success. However, I also feel like at times, Trailer just keeps, like, just pushing and pushing to try to develop that run game, and, and so almost becomes overly stubborn at some point. It's like, look, I'm not trying to advocate that we're an air raid team, but we know that we have strength in Frank's passing game. We know that we have three of the best wide receivers in the G5 ranks. Just lean into it. You know, I mean, again, you're going to have to run the ball occasionally because you want to have that threat that Frank or the running back can scramble and so you're you know you're constantly keeping the defense um, on edge about which direction you're going to go but maybe this just isn't going to be that you know run first year for us.
1: It's it's certainly perplexing I I think that um, you know obviously we've had some problems with the rushing game but you know I, I think what's more interesting is the fact that a season back like Brendan Brady can't get popped loose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously some of that's offensive line, but I think that's also some Brendan Brady. I think there's a lack of explosiveness right now in the running back room without Traylon Smith. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously you weren't going to try to rush Traylon Smith back for this game. This was a game you thought like Brendan Brady could just kind of grind out a whole bunch of rushes and potentially, you know, again get that push. But he kind of like that
0: UTEP game, you know, that he had when sincere was gone two years ago.
1: Right, but. Mm-hmm. You know, it just didn't happen, and you know, I think just there's just the lack of explosiveness in the run game. There's a lack of just pop, and maybe it's just a sincere hangover. Um, you know, I, I hate to keep bringing up sincere, but it feels like, you know, there is I think maybe more of a loss. I think after four games, you kind of feel like there's more of a loss in the running back room. Now there have been injuries, but I mean, something's got to give here. Some, you know, are we gonna get somebody stepping up? We not? Uh, I don't know, but. Let's talk about quarterback play because I think that that was a little bit more encouraging. We talked a little bit about Eddie Lee. Um, He really looked good um, moving the offense. His—I want to say that the passes were pretty crisp. Mm -hmm. Um, It it looked. I mean, he's clearly a much more natural passer than Frank, but you know you can certainly tell that he's got somehow he's gotten enough um, enough reps with some of these wide receivers to have a good rapport. Just the way he's delivering the ball was really clutch. And I think that's what really wanted made me want him to be in there sooner, just to give Frank a rest. I mean, we saw Frank get banged up at the end of the first half. And so that got kind of concerning because it was like, well, you know, maybe he just plays the halftime, just whatever the score is, and we just go with Eddie Lee. And we just didn't. It's like, that didn't happen. So, um, any thoughts on just how you felt about it, at least for those two quarterbacks?
0: Yeah, no, I thought Eddie Lee looked really. Um, really good considering that you know we know that he had some kind of injury over the summer um, and there was kind of this question mark about him and the difference between him and Cam Peters seeing him come out and play at UT and then seeing him come out and play in this game you know he seems like he's definitely developing and he's moving the right direction and you know if you needed to give Frank, more rest in some games, you could. You know, obviously, we want Frank to be as healthy as possible for those key conference games. Um, and every time he hurdles a defender or, you know, gets smacked around, you know, you just kind of hold your breath because there's still, you know, Eddie Lee still needs to continue to develop. He's not Frank, but, you know, at least you feel better seeing him and seeing his development that you know, he could take over in the fourth quarter and you wouldn't have to be up by 25 points to feel confident putting, you know, Eddie Lee in the game.
1: I think over the last two games, he's looked really good. I mean, uh, you know, obviously I'm not trying to say that he's, you know, a perfect quarterback, but just certainly encouraged to see that performance. Now, I wasn't as encouraged with Cam Peters. I know it was late in the game and, you know, obviously you're just trying to call a couple plays. You're not really trying to, you know, really run anything big, but it, It seemed, even in just those three plays that he had, that the game is still moving really fast for him. (laughs) Uh, Whereas with Eddie, it just seems like the game is slowing down. He was natural in the way he was throwing the ball. Cam didn't throw the ball, but it still seemed like a young quarterback who still needs more time. And if he were to see the field, it'd be a little bit... You're definitely going to be on edge, regardless of the score. (laughs) Because... um, you know, he just needs that time and more time to develop. And, you know, I think, you know, as we continue seeing how this quarterback room grows over the next couple of years, it's going to be interesting to see just where Cam ends up. But
0: hopefully we'll see him again in the FIU game. But we'll get to that later.
1: <laughs> sure. All right. Only other thing I wanted to talk about was just really the, off, um, just the offensive player of the game. And to me, that was JT Clark. Nine catches, 217 yards, uh, three touchdowns he was definitely more physical and a much tougher cover than I think, you know, Texas Southern would like to admit though. You know, I had said in my preview, like you have their top cornerback who's Isaiah Hamilton, who did a, I thought a good job on these receivers whenever they were on them. But my guy's like, I think he's a sophomore and he's still pretty light. And you know, as, as well as he did battling there against our top three receivers, there was just that, um, that first touchdown pass that Frank threw, you know, to begin the second half that poor Isaiah was looking for the ball and, you know, he was looking the other way. <laughs> just didn't see it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not trying to make fun of him. It's just, again, you felt the overmatch right? like That moment I felt like, you know, that would be me. <laughs> I was covering one of these guys. It's, you know, obviously, you know, he's just, these guys are just something else. And, um, You know, good for JT. I think he had, you know, obviously one of the top games in uh, UTSA history. Let's go to the defense. Talked about the preview review that um, the defensive line I felt needed to bully that offensive line. And while they had their moments, they really seemed to struggle against this offensive line that was not really an imposing one. Mm -hmm. It just seemed like Texas Southern used a little bit of our athleticism against us. And they used misdirection on us. And this is not the first time that we've seen misdirection Really hamper this team. We, this this defense though just has problems with assignments. You know they they weren't covering where they're supposed to be covering, and I think at times, especially because uh, in my opinion, the game was so close, and we couldn't find that comfortable separation until essentially late in the second half. It felt like everybody started trying to make plays when plays they just needed to. You know complete their assignment and you know we'd be okay but you know I, I hesitate to say hero ball but it felt like at times there was a lot of hero ball going out there saying oh i can beat this offensive lineman i'm going to try to do something that is not within the play mm-hmm. that said and even then lep kind of had some curious to me some curious defensive alignments i you know obviously um, I saw some others say the same thing, specifically like Jared from Alamadou Audible had said something like that too. So, yeah, you know, it's cool when you see that others are seeing some of this stuff because it, it seemed bizarre that we were lining up in certain formations on defense. And, you know, it just seemed like, are, are we that cocky that we're going to be able to do that? And we think that, you know, Texas Southern's going to, you know, just kind of fold this way. It, it was just, to me, a bizarre, bizarre game plan from uh, the defense.
0: Yeah, Trailer had mentioned in one of his interviews that he felt it was tough on the defense because on the offensive side, because they weren't running the ball, they were, you know, going heavy on passing and they were scoring fast and so defense was getting tired and they were...
1: Oh, Coach Trailer, come on. I just want to give him a, come on, man, stop it. Like, that's something you control and that's something that you know you're going to play fast. So you've got to have your players ready. Like, you know, that's something that he's talked about, like, I want to play fast. I want to do all these things. That's something you can control, and you know that that can happen during any game. So I just think that that's a flimsy excuse to throw out there. So with that, let's talk about the defensive player of the game. Donye Taylor is my guy. Um, you know, he's replacing his brother, and, you know, we kind of need something something there because, you know... Spark. Uh, yeah, obviously this team... This team really needed somebody to uh, get things going, and I'm not not going to call out any specific Donye Taylor play, I just thought he was consistent throughout the game, and at the very least, was much better at playing his assignments, but there's not much you can do when you play your assignment, and then you see somebody else, like, not doing what they're supposed to, <laughs> it makes it so much more difficult to make plays, but uh, Donye, great job on the game.
0: What did we learn from the game?
1: Well, let me ask you this. Is this team too emotional this year?
0: Definitely. You know, if you look back at the team last year, they were so focused and dialed in on all of the games. This year, you know, we've had, like Kalechi said in the post game, an emotional roller coaster. We had the emotion from the Houston game, the hangover after that, the emotions going into the UT game, clearly a hangover after that. And it just definitely seems like they are letting the highs get too high and the lows get too low compared to what we saw last year. And that's not the intent of the culture that Trailers established, and so it's a little surprising and a little disconcerting.
1: So would you potentially like chalk that up to some of that being youthful immaturity since we're young at some positions? Or do you just think it's permeated even from the senior leadership?
0: I think it starts at the top. We've seen a more emotional trailer this year than we've seen in the past. And yes, there, there are young guys that I'm sure are very emotional. I mean, again, you know, trailer said it a million times, you know, these, these are, you know, young men and they're emotional, but he's seemed more emotional and more of a high and low in his press conference. And he sets the tone for the team.
1: That's a good point. I mean, do you think that because he's not hasn't been able to really be stabilized and just kind of be sort of, you know, have his emotions in check, like we've kind of talked about over the last three weeks, do you think that that is really affecting the team and even his coaches more?
0: I would say so. I mean, I think it, it affects the team regardless of what he says. You know, it probably affects the co- the coaches and or it's his reaction to maybe having a younger coaching staff. And when I say younger coaching staff, I just mean, you know, he's got a lot of people in different positions this year than he had last year. You know, and maybe that's part of his frustration of things not going as well with some of those coaching changes or just kind of going through those growing pains of being new at your role than maybe what he anticipated.
1: It's kind of funny because, you know, uh... And talking about this, he almost sounds like a guy that's one one big loss away from getting fired, but that's certainly not the case. No. And, and I think that's the, the emotional part of it that you've been talking about. So let me ask you this, because you've been big on this, and this is something you, you've you talked about various times over the last couple of years that we've been podcasting, It's year three of Trailer.
0: Yeah. If you go back and you look at year three of FBS... And with Coker, you have to look at the third year ref That was the year when the wheels kind of started to fall off for Coker. Year three, Wilson, the wheels started to fall off for Wilson. So I had said, you know, many times kind of looking forward at that trailer um, tenure, what's year three going to look like? And the way that he's talking and the way that he's so emotional, it's almost like, Yeah, like there's some risk or some letdown. Look, I know there's pressure on you um, because we won Conference USA last year. We had a phenomenal season, but realistically, it was going to be very, very challenging to follow that up with the same type of record just given the difference in our conference play. And I don't think that – I'm sure there are fans out there who want – to be very frustrated because we've lost two games. But really, if you look at what UTSA was expected to do, we're right where we should be. Two and two is kind of where people thought we were gonna be. So I get you still have these expectations, but I think a lot of those expectations, trailers putting on himself, he's anticipating that the fans and the media and everyone's going to turn on him if we don't have this twelve and two season again. But there might be fans that will do that. I mean, San Antonio's notoriously fickle. But y- you can't let that get to you because it's not realistic. You just have to do what he says he-, he wants to do. Focus on the brand. You know, make sure that they're executing well. Make sure that they're you know playing clean. Next man up mentality. You know, he needs to just in my opinion, kind of go back to those fundamentals and set the emotion aside because you hearing this emotion throughout all of these interviews, you know that that's what they're hearing in the locker room. And I just don't think that that's, that's good. You know, we're going to go into middle Tennessee and talk about that in a couple minutes. They're coming off of this big win. we got to be dialed in. We got to be focused and we got to control what we can control. It's one of the things that they talk about in our culture. Like, we just need to focus on our culture.
1: I think you summed that up really well, and I thought I was going to just give you some time there. Not to, like, we call it a rant. i think going to get off my soapbox now. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, I, I think I think you had this all in your head, and I wanted to make sure just give you that kind of freedom to just get it out, because I think you speak for a lot of fans. I think you speak for a lot of other people watching and saying... This does seem weird. Like, it, it feels like we're about to, like, he thinks we're about to fire him. And it's like, no, no, yeah. we knew that there'd be adversity. Now, the adversity has been probably a little bit more than even he anticipated. And so I think he's also having some struggles. Like, I think coming to terms with the fact that, you know, he may have lost a couple guys, you know, to, yeah, you know, he needs for this to get season. out of
0: his head and just focus on, you know, the fundamentals that you know, he set up, trust his culture.
1: I think that's well put. Now, not something we maybe learned in this game, but I think learned post-game was we were kind of putting together our notes for this, you know, for middle Tennessee, and we were anticipating some, you know, really some guys to return from injury. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. We thought that potentially Traylon Smith, Makai Hart, and Joe Evans maybe might be back. I think Joe Evans is a little... Definitely a long shot. The way he he looked in terms of his therapy um, certainly has more of an ankle issue that's probably going to keep him out a a little bit longer. But we've got D-line depth, so that's not as big. The Makai Hart one is the one that I think really hurts Mm -hmm. because I think that's going to really impact here in the Middle Tennessee game when we go through the preview here in a few minutes. But certainly I think that, um, you know, with the tackles, as he talked about today in the interviews, not being able to come back, and then, you know, who knows about Traylon or even Day-Day. Yeah, um, it seemed
0: like at least he mentioned that Day-Day had practiced, and he did make a comment that if someone hadn't practiced, he wasn't going to take him to Middle Tennessee. So at least there's a shot that Day-Day will come back, depending on, you know, how he continues to, um, you know, recover. But no mention about Traylon. Although I thought that Trailer had mentioned prior to... Um, the Texas Southern game that he was keeping trail on out as precaution. So maybe we'll see it but there really hasn't been any discussion about
1: it. Yeah, that. and we were hoping I think just from this game going to be able to say, "Hey, we learned that potentially we, you know, post game that we got some guys coming back so that's good going into conference. Short week, this going to be tough." So let's get started talking about Middle Tennessee. So let's talk Middle Tennessee. Let's I get know, into the preview. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: know you are happy that this is the last time you're going to be previewing Middle Tennessee for <laughs> hopefully a couple of years.
1: Um, yeah, these these guys have been a team that we played. You know, they this is the thorn
0: in our side. It's a
1: third year in a row. Um, you know, obviously in COVID year, it was just a game that kind of came up, and you know they used as replacement game. Uh, you know, we kind of referenced earlier in this pod about Ash O'Hara and how he was taped up essentially. Um, And somehow almost willed Middle Tennessee to a win there. And then last season...
0: We broke their quarterback last season. Yeah. And built up this new guy.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, we have one guy essentially retired halftime, and then, you know, Chase Cunningham comes in, who honestly didn't really, I would say, didn't get on a roll until later in the second half, once our second-string, third-string defense gang came in. But let's talk about the fact that they just upset Miami 45-31 in Miami. Okay, so I was wondering, looking at the attendance, I was like, it's so sporadic, you know, there's a whole bunch of fans all over the place in the Miami stadium. Well, it's because they were in a weather delay for the longest time. So, with bad weather in the area, hey, that's what happens when you got an outdoor stadium. Dome sweet dome is all I'm going to say. Okay. Um, look, that, I think, caused some fans to stay away. Um, but Miami, definitely not back. Um, they were not good, especially Miami quarterback, um, Ty Van Dyke, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he threw a pa- he threw an interception on his first pass of the game. A couple of plays later, when they finally got the ball back, he throws a pick six. He just and then they had like another fumble. They they essentially turned the ball over um, three times in the first. Three tries.
0: Yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna read the the first half plays for Miami here. Interception. Interception, touchdown, fumble, field goal, turnover on downs, fumble, touchdown, into half. That was how Miami played the first half of the game.
1: And the first interception was a bad interception. He really stared down his receiver and, because of it, had the cornerback jump the route and, you know, get the interception. The second one was kind of weird because he was trying to throw the, essentially, out to the flat. And defensive end, uh, Zalen, I think it's Zalen Woods... Uh, made a terrific play by just like putting his his paw up, tipped it in the air to himself, and then took it for a touchdown. Poor lineman. Um the tackle was like looking around trying to figure out where the ball went. He turned around on Zalen because Zalen made a great play, just popped it up to himself. Um, so really I'm gonna give credit to Middle Tennessee. They could have they could have gotten that big on Miami and just let them come back. But one thing that they did was they went they were there. They were feisty And they gave Miami everything that they could handle and Miami's just not good. You know, it really comes down to the fact that they just don't have very good quarterback play, but that's a lot of these P5 teams. And the reason I think the P5 teams are getting upset this season, or more of them, are because they don't have a good quarterback, a good solid quarterback. And you notice like a team like, oh, I don't know, UTSA with Frank Harris. We talk about all the great things Frank has been able to do and, you know, having some consistent quarterback play Really goes a long way when you're playing P5 teams. Now we're in conference, so let's talk about Chase Cunningham. Average at best. Like, I wouldn't say that he's a runner. You know, he just will kind of escape a little bit. At least Bailey Zappy last year, when we talked about Western Kentucky, seemed to kind of like take off. You know, and get yards here or there once receivers were down the field. Chase Cunningham really isn't doing that. Like, he's he's more of a I'm going to stay in the pocket and try to find someone but he's also they've really kind of retooled this offense to be more aerial and but instead of really passing it around they've been using it more to set up the run. He's an okay passer. He just I think the new system though has him kind of uh, got him hesitant. He his interception um was really like one that he threw behind the receiver and he was he just flinched. It looked like he was ready to release the ball and he hesitated and then he let it rip. And by that point, he threw it behind his receiver and it was just an easy interception for Miami. He still looked like that, even though he threw a few nice balls that were long passes that broke, you know, that Miami secondary apart. But it wasn't like he just picked them apart. It was more the fact that Miami just played poor defense. And so it just made it so much easier for Chase to make those throws. Running back Frank Peasant is their top, top running back. Again, pretty average. Um, he's really a bullish runner. And I think what concerns me about him though, is even though I said he's average, he reminds me of somewhat of like Brendan Brady, but also the Texas Southern running backs who were just kind of going into the line and then just kind of bullying, you know, our defensive line and linebackers and really pushing that, uh, pushing that scrum a few yards down the field. So, you know, something to look out for because they do rush the ball a little bit more than they pass it. Now these wide receivers, they're pretty short. <laughs> You got DJ England Chisholm, who had the big 98-yard touchdown catch against Miami. Um, Jalen Lane, Elijah Metcalf, Yusuf Ali—they're all below 5'10", but they're pretty quick. So it makes this air raid pretty difficult to kind of, at times, I would say, uh, defend because of the fact that they're just <laughs> they're just small men. That's what they are—they're small. And you know, I don't—we have more size at cornerback. So I just kind of. Hopefully we can, um, even though that we've got some good coverage guys, I just hope that we can stay up with these guys because of the fact that these guys can make a couple moves here or there and, you know, it, it could cause some problems for our defense. Their tallest wide receiver is Isaiah Isaiah Gaythings. I think I'm saying his last name, right? He's 6'4". He's pretty solid. He leads the team in receptions at with 24, probably because he's 6'4 and he's easier for Chase Cunningham to see. Chase Cunningham himself is 5'11". So it's not a very tall team that we've got going against. So hopefully there's some things that we can do here uh, on defense. That OL is big, but pretty unspectacular. They're just rated pretty low in terms of PFF. And from what I saw against Miami, they didn't look very impressive. They just gave Chase enough time <laughs> to tear apart the secondary, which was, you know, once one or two seconds. So Let's go to the defense. This is the strength to me of Middle Tennessee, and this is what makes them quite dangerous. Certainly trailers talked about the fact that their defense coordinator has been there for a while, but you know, they've got some players, Jordan Ferguson, essentially about their he plays all over the defensive line, but he's essentially like a defensive end. He's a monster. Um, he's probably going to be used to pick on Frankie Martinez. You know, honestly, um, if Makai Hart's not back yet, this would be a tough assignment, even for Makai Hart to come back to against Jordan Ferguson. This guy can play. I think Think of a poor man's, I can't remember the guy's name for Army, but their All-American linebacker. I would say he's a poor man's version of him. Um, Still a monster, I think, for Conference USA. Marley Cook is their defensive tackle. He leads the team with four sacks. And Quindarius Dunnigan is another beast uh, on that defensive line. They just seem to live in the backfield at times. This is a a very good defensive team, starting with their defensive line. Kind of reminds you of, I don't know, The runners, now the linebackers are Jalen Davis and Christian Dixon. They played well, they lead that linebacker crew. They haven't played as many snaps, but it's clear that they use these guys and when they play, they're the best options they have. So these are guys are gonna be making some plays here and I imagine are gonna be the main cogs in trying to slow down Frank and Brendan or whoever's at running back. Their secondary to me is pretty average, though they do have a pretty good cornerback and Decorian, Patterson. Um, they got two safeties, Teldrick Ross and Trey Fulelin. they're the, they're among the top three tacklers uh, within the team. So, when your safeties are some of your top tacklers on the team, it pretty much means that you're you know you're getting getting quite a bit of runners or receivers going into you know your secondary, and that's not very good, but don't underestimate this middle Tennessee defense. It's pretty stout. It's just, can their offense actually set their defense up for success? So UTSA keys to victory looking out from, you know, today being Monday (laughs) for Friday for me, it's try to manufacture a run game. Um, You know, see if you can catch them off guard, give some draw plays. Uh, I think that that would be good to at least keep this defensive line off balance um, and, and potentially slow down that pass rush because I think that's really what's going to be a key here. Because we're going to have to key number two is protect Frank at all costs here. Like this defensive line and is good, and so is their linebacking crew, and they could potentially get into Frank's face. And you definitely aren't going to want him getting pressure up the middle. I don't believe that they'll be able to get pressure up the middle, but definitely on the sides they will, and so that certainly gonna be something to look out for on defense we're going to have to have our defensive linemen and outside linebackers make Chase Cunningham uncomfortable. I said he's not much of a scrambler, so I think we need to get some pass rush on him, but we've kind of struggled in that area this year, so hopefully we can get something going there. And then that defensive line just needs to kind of clog up some of those holes. You know, based on the kind of defense we run, which is like a 3-3-5, which may change because of the fact that this is sort of an air raid offense, you know, certainly we need them to be Able to plug some of those holes because uh, we probably are going to drop some of these linebackers into coverage as well. I think the second key here is you know secondary coverage, but I'm not as worried about it because our cornerbacks are so solid. You know, Mayfield, Fortune, even Dewan Griffin, very good. And I, I think having those three out there against their receivers should be fine. It's just again, I hesitate because of their size because we've just got larger cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we can certainly lull them into getting a couple of interceptions here. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if we can get some turnovers here on this middle Tennessee defense or offense. Sorry. Um, So way too early prediction. Does UTSA come out with some energy and urgency? It's conference play. So there's no more excuses. This is it. This is what we've been, you know, kind of gearing towards. And these are the games that really count. I get that we are two and two out of conference, but this is what determines conference championships. So, this is going to be huge. UTSA can't come out like playing like they did against Texas Southern and believe that they can just turn it on to win. That's uh, does Middle Tennessee have a Miami hangover? They've been really inconsistent over the last few years, and I just I don't think anything's changed. <laughs> they beat up on essentially Miami, which is you yes, know obviously yeah. a great win, but they also beat up on Colorado State, and Colorado State is probably the. Second worst P five team <laughs> in uh, in the nation. Uh, worst being their in state rival, Colorado. <laughs> Colorado's even worse. Um, Colorado's not having a great year in terms of college football. Um, but I, I just you know I, I hesitate to give Colorado State or Middle Tennessee too much uh, props for beating up on um, Colorado State, considering that last week Sacramento State beat up on Colorado State. Sacramento State is quarterbacked by one. Oh, Asher O'Hara. Ooh, it all comes full, uh, full circle, right? All right. So I think UTSA is going to struggle just a little bit of pass coverage because I just think that because of their quickness on you know with the wide receivers, you know, it's just in a short week. I think it's tough to duplicate at first in in practice. We'll see though. I mean, we'll obviously get a good read in the first half, but I think UTSA kind of stays with them. I think Middle Tennessee keeps his close, but give me UTSA 31-27 with UTSA recovering a late Middle Tennessee onside kick to seal the win.
0: All right. Before we go, let's talk a little bit Conference USA Roundup. Let's do it. UTEP beat Boise State 27-10. Huge win for UTEP.
1: <laughs> you think so?
0: <laughs> it's UTEP.
1: Boise uh, State isn't the darling that they they've been in years past. They've no, really they've, gone downhill. So
0: can they fire their offensive coordinator after that game? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, their quarterback hit the transfer portal.
1: Kind of sounds like UTSA last year with Middle Tennessee, right? Like they just they, they just UTEP <laughs> really ripped him. them. Yeah, they did.
0: Look, they won this game. UTEP won this game on the ground. Um, you've criticized Hardison, but. This time, they game-planned so that they didn't really ask too much of Hardison.
1: Well, and, and that's what you need to win, right? Like, the UTEP defense was stout. They, they, they were tough. And, you know, I, I questioned what Boise State was trying to run on UTEP because they kept trying to go east-west on them instead of trying to go north-south. Like, anyway, I, I digress there. But, yeah, you know, as much as they, like, talk about Gavin Hardison – um, they kept the ball out of his hands. Like he only threw eleven times, and, but he
0: made ten out of those eleven throws.
1: <laughs> well, I'd hope so because they rushed it like forty-seven times. But that, <laughs> even those rushing gains, weren't very big. It was just kind of moving the pile, moving the pile. It, it was not an impressive run game, really. It was just, we're, we're just going to play tough defense, and that's what really sparked some of those things. Plus, they got a punt return for a touchdown. So spare me. This offense wasn't as wasn't as great to show, but course UTEP overreacted, and it's like you didn't you didn't beat anybody big they're they're down Boise State is down so I still give them credit they won they could have again much like Middle Tennessee folded against you know Miami like Middle Tennessee could fold it against Miami UTEP could have folded against Boise State because even though they won the game they still was very tenuous game throughout so
0: uh Western Kentucky on the other hand killed FIU 73 to 0 Six hundred and eighty-eight yards of total offense for Western Kentucky.
1: And I saw that a lot of them were like starting to flex their muscles, like, "Oh, Western Kentucky, we didn't go anywhere. We're still here. We're still as good as you know when Bailey Zappi was there." Yeah, really easy to start talking trash when you beat up on a kid that essentially is five years younger than you and a hundred pounds lighter than you. Okay, FIU is like the worst G five team. Like they know that that's a it's, it's a rebuild. But come on. You're, you're going to start flexing your muscles after that win? You get the 124th ranked schedule in the nation. Everybody made fun of UTSA's strength of schedule last year. We're going to make fun of Western Kentuckys.
0: And what was nearly the upset of Conference USA, Rice almost beat Houston at home. Almost.
1: I had to tell you, Atos, I think Rice might be for real. They found... I think they found their quarterback in McMahon, and they've got Luke McCaffrey, who you know, was a scatter-armed quarterback, but they made him into a wide receiver, much apparently, like his dad.
0: Apparently, he's a good wide receiver.
1: Well, his dad was a terrific wide receiver. Ed McCaffrey was terrific for the Denver Broncos. So, something rubbed off on on Luke here, and I think he might make essentially a name for himself as a wide receiver. He, It's that traditional rice big play wide receiver that no matter what, somehow the guy always makes plays. It's like they don't have any other receiving threats, but somehow Luke will still make plays, right? They do have a couple of other players, but, you know, I got to tell you, I'm impressed with with what Bloomgren has been able to turn around this year, especially considering the last couple of years, it seems like he was on his way to getting fired. Now you've been kind of predicted. I think maybe he might not be coaching the UTSA game by the time we right. get there. But, you know, good for them. You know, it, it. I'm happy to see Rice kind of come back and not just be that kind of, Um, easy win that everybody can mark up on and I'm kind of curious to see. Like
0: FIU apparently.
1: (laughs) Sure but I kind of look forward to seeing them upset somebody because that's what they've done. Not Not UTSA. UTSA. (laughs) I'm glad we said that in unison because um, I don't think that'll happen but I think they could give, based on what I've seen from Rice, they could give UTSA a hard time.
0: Uh, Well, Let's just hope that they give UTEP and North Texas a hard time. How about that?
1: They will. They will.
0: Okay. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us. So thank you for joining us on the Hail Mary podcast. I'm Toes.
1: And I'm the Toes.
0: We'll be back next week to recap our win against Middle Tennessee.
1: Don't make it seem like a question. Birds up.